This episode of Market Flurry is brought to you by 23andMe. Now through December 26th, get up to $50 off each 23andMe DNA kit. Give the ultimate personalized gift by going to 23andMe.com fool. It's Tuesday, December 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Ron Gross from Motley Fool Total Income and Jason Moser from Million Dollar Portfolio. Guys, happy holidays. And happy to you, holidays. Matt. Lots to talk about here. We've got Jack in the Box unloading Qdoba, so we'll get to that. And we've got Olive Garden just flat out getting it done. Yep. The Steve Broido effect. It, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Steve has his tonsils out in September. Starts eating solid foods again. Olive Garden, great quarter. I feel like we need them as an advertising partner. Oh, man. I mean, like it's I'm just, telling you, you know. Hey, let's talk after the show. But we begin with the first. For the first time in its 121-year history, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has gone up more than 5,000 points in a year. That's the biggest annual points gain ever. Guys, the Dow has also closed at a record high 70 times this year. Jason. As an investor, what does all that mean, and what does that not mean? So, what it means is uh, what we've always been saying: you need to be invested, right? And you need to be doing that over the course of many, many years. Uh, and it's okay if you're not invested to get started now because it's never too late. Um, it does not mean that 2018 the market's going to have to go down because it's just it, it went up so so much in 2017. I mean, if we look back uh, all the way to 2007, from 2007 to now. Uh, the S and P 500 was down only one year. Now, granted, it was down 37 percent. That was a pretty big year. But I mean, let's be clear here: from 2007, I still have hives from that year. From 2007 through 2016, if you had plunked just a hundred dollars in the S and P index fund, that one hundred dollars at the end of 2016 would have been. Uh, $195.68 had you just left it alone. Okay, so the returns are real. They do happen. One down year doesn't doesn't ruin your life. Uh, but my point is, it can always keep on going up. Uh, not saying it will, but I'm. I'm I heard you just say it will. Don't assume <laughs> Send that. Send email too. Don't assume that it must go down because it's had such a good year. Because I think it had a good year because of a lot of uh, a lot of good fundamentals. So, when you talk about the Dow, I think you have to be careful about when you talk about points. Because the higher it goes, the, the less important the points are. When the Dow was new, if you said it went up 5,000 points in one year, you'd be like, oh my God, that's unbelievable. The higher it gets, the, the less that means. So, it's better to talk in terms of percentages. Um, now, the Dow has had a great year actually outperforming, I believe, the S&P 500. But what is all this Dow stuff? Like The only time I ever hear about the Dow is if I turn on the news. Like I don't invest in the Dow. I don't. I'm sure there are ways. There are ETFs and, and mutual funds, but for the most part, uh, professional investors and just regular everyday investors invest in the S&P 500 typically if they want to invest in an index. So I almost on a daily basis much more focused on that as as a proxy for the market. And the Dow doesn't really even cross my radar unless I kind of pop open CNBC or something. You're a buzzkill, but but I'll, I'll go with that right now. <laughs> right. So let, let's talk about the market then kind of the market writ large. Right. Don't forget the Dow is 30 stocks. 30 stocks. Okay, so point taken. But when you look at the market writ large and the market hitting new all time highs, someone who's not fully invested or who's not invested at all, they hear that old saw buy low, sell high. <laughs> so when the market's hitting new all time highs, is it still time? Is there still time for someone to get in? 
Well, yeah, I mean, because you need to be looking out for the next 10 years, right? Instead of looking at this and saying, this last year was so great. Yeah, I mean, the last year was so great, but really, when you're investing, when we're investing, I mean, we're telling people, you want to invest with that five to ten year outlook. I mean, don't put money in the market that you that you need over the course of the next five years. And if you can do that, then you can remain patient. And I think uh, you know, generally speaking, I, I have a hard time understanding where money is going to go besides the stock market because interest rates, even as they start bumping up a little bit, are are still going to be extremely low. There's there's gonna be zero return opportunity on fixed income. I mean a savings account just isn't gonna cut it. So you've got to be Putting your money in, into the market in some way, shape, or form, and I think a lot of people don't even really consider the fact that if you just participate in your company's 401k plan, I mean that's getting your money invested. You're in some type of index or mutual fund there, and that's getting your money in that market. But instead of thinking buy low, sell high, I like to think just keep on buying. You want to just keep buying and do that over the course of the next 10 to 20 years. If you do that, things are going to work out okay. Ron, on last week's Motley Fool Money, we interviewed um, CNBC's Carl Quintanilla. And Chris, as the last question of the interview, asked him, what is he looking at in the year ahead? What mm-hmm. are some questions he has? And um, one of the questions Carl mentioned is he wondered if we're finally going to start seeing retail investors start talking about stocks the way they did back in 2000. Yeah. And this market feels very different to me. And we hear a lot about institutional investors versus individual investors. What do you make of that? Is this a rally? Is this a market that so far really hasn't included enough individual investors, or is that just a false construct? It's it's so interesting that you asked this question because Thank on my you. very long commute <laughs> my very on. long commute this morning, I was actually thinking to myself, gosh, I hope we don't go back to like the nineteen ninety-nine days where I couldn't go to a cocktail party, not that I was invited to many cocktail parties, but I couldn't get together with friends without somebody saying, oh my God, I just bought RidiculousCompany.com and tripled my money. Did you buy that? And I would say, oh no, I don't really you know, speculate and things like that. And they would be like, oh my God, you got to do it. It's like free money. It's so easy. We're just minting money every day, every day. I stopped going to parties. I couldn't handle it. I mean, it was just ridiculous conversations. And, and eventually, the irrational exuberance um, pops and, and everything came back down to earth. I don't feel that we're in that kind of a situation right now. Um, there are certain hot things like Bitcoin, where you'll you'll hear that that kind of um, conversations at a party, um, but it doesn't feel anything like um, back then. Uh, you'll talk, you'll hear more talk about politics, I think, than you do hear about the stock market. I think people are just happy to see their account balances um, continue to rise every now and then. You know, if if there's a hot stock of the week, maybe you'll hear it, it be talked about. But you don't get the novice investor all of a sudden think that. They can do no wrong, and that they're just minting money. Yeah, I feel like that is that that discussion is all centering around Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Which, I mean, honestly, I feel like that's actually probably a good thing because it's just sort of letting the market kind of keep flying under the radar, so to speak, and everybody's attention is really on the the you know the next great cryptocurrency opportunity, and and perhaps those will work out. I mean, I I you know. I'm happy just to admit that I don't know enough about it uh, to, to want to participate. But yeah, I feel like that conversation is happening around cryptocurrencies, and, and it's kind of letting the market just keep on doing its thing. And Ron, what do you think of Bitcoin? It's 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 a tough one, man. You know, I think of Bitcoin the same way I think about gold. Is that I don't know. It doesn't have any cash flows associated with it. It doesn't do anything to produce cash flows. So I don't know how to value it. And if I can't value it, I don't know how to buy it or sell it. And therefore, I have nothing to do but stay away. 
Well, from Bitcoin to Jack in the Box, a place after my own heart. Um, guys, Jack in the Box selling Qdoba, the fast casual Mexican chain. Um, they're selling Qdoba to the investment firm Apollo Global for $350 million. Ron, shares of Jack in the Box over the last two and five years have beaten the market, have done well. The last year, not, not so, so much. Qdoba, right. not doing so well. Do you like this deal? I like the deal for Jack. I think it's great to get rid of it. I'm surprised Apollo. Um, I guess you would want it, but 305 million is a pretty good deal for Jack. I think. Um, you know, they they bought it back uh, in 2003 for 45 million. So uh, you know, they certainly expanded it from 85 locations up to uh, what 700. I want to say now. So you know, it was it was working for a while, right up until it kind of stopped working and 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 the the concept kind of soured. Um, so I think great for them to focus on their namesake brand, Jack in the Box, which by the way are primarily franchised, where Cadoba is much less franchised. So I think it's a better business model to focus on the franchised Jack in the Box restaurants. Get rid of Cadoba, take the cash. Jason. Yeah, I think it just goes to speak uh, to how difficult the restaurant business really is, because I mean it seems like a lot of uh, Jack in the Box's success. Was because of uh, strong performance from Qdoba over the past few years, but it's it's competitive. Obviously, I mean there is a little uh, concept out there we uh, call Chipotle I've that heard of seems it, yes. to occupy some of the space. Yeah, um, and that is a much bigger concept, right? I think you said Jack in the Box has run seven hundred, or uh, Qdoba has run seven hundred stores. Yeah. Chipotle somewhere around like twenty three now, twenty three hundred, and um, and they're looking for a new CEO that that could very well really light a fire uh, under that business. So I, I think it's probably yeah as good a time as any for them. To Load it. Well, guys, before we continue our conversation, I want to again mention that this episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by 23andMe. This holiday, give your friends and family the ultimate personalized gift a DNA kit from 23andMe. They can learn about their genetic ancestry, their inherited traits, and even information about their health. What other gift can do all of that? So, this holiday, give a gift that is as unique as the ones you love with 23andMe. Now through now through December 26th, get up to $50 off each kit when you go to 23andme.com slash fool. Guys, I did 23andme. It's great. I actually discovered that I've got a fair amount, and by fair, I mean a lot, of Neanderthal. <laughs> what does that mean for, for you? Do you think that, that bodes well for uh, your evolution? You know, I haven't figured that out. You've come a long out. way. I, I mean, I guess you just well done. the dots. You're probably a big meat eater, which is then going to lead to some problems down the road. You know, I mean, it's just uh, it's a matter of changing that behavior before it gets out of hand. Maybe. Well, there you go. You which know? which brings us to Darden restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> Shares of Darden up big today on strong second quarter results. Guys, Olive Garden, which is Darden's just mother load. Yep. Olive Garden same store sales up three percent for the quarter. Olive Garden makes up around half of Darden's profits. Yep, this is the crown jewel for uh, Darden. Olive Garden is and. Uh, our very own Steve Broido. I mean, he he every every time we talk about it, he he professes his love, and I, I mean, he got one of those pasta passes. I have to assume, right? I mean, I think they're hard to get. They bumped yeah. it up to like twenty two thousand of them yeah. this year. Yeah, I'm not sure. Just it's amazing to me how how much room that that business has run in such a short period of time. Because, like you said, it's about half of the overall company. Uh, they've they've really made a lot of investments in the to go 
concept with Olive Garden, and it has done so well. I mean, every quarter it's growing double digits. In this quarter, that to go grew to go sales grew twelve percent, really contributing to that overall same store sales growth with with the with. Darden as a whole, and it was Darden's thirteenth consecutive quarter of same store sales growth. And the same store sales growth was healthy, right? It was some growth in traffic, some growth in pricing, good, healthy mix of of the food and offerings that are being sold. So all in all, I mean, it's it's not a business I would put at the top of my watch list just because the restaurant business is generally just so tough. Um, but but wow, they've really been doing well. It started to turn when Starboard Value came in and told them to stop salting the water so much, so <laughs> yes. the pots would last longer. Yes, so it, 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 there, it's all them. You remember that report? How long was that report? They wrote this extensive, <laughs> comprehensive report. Yeah. You know, those are good guys. I know and, them very well. Yeah, and they were yeah. And, and about what over-serving breadsticks. And yeah, they were serving too many lot breadsticks. Of, lot of lot of cost-cutting measures. That is a wonderful report. If you have some spare time over the holidays. <laughs> The other thing to remember is the the acquisition of Cheddar's Scratch Kitchen, I think is what it's called. But that is going to be something that I think adds uh, considerably over time. And part of it is just because the unit economics of the stores are so attractive. I mean, they're bringing in around $4.5 million in average uh, uh, sales uh, annually. And and the average check around $13.50. So it's not like some high dollar offering. It's a pretty convenient, a little bit of a differentiated offering that I think is going to contribute to their bottom line for years to come. Okay. Well, Guys, as we wrap up, we've got a great email from a listener. Um, the listener writes, The panelists on Motley Fool Money were generally very happy with the news about Disney buying assets from Fox. On the other hand, I have heard several experts on your show talk about how they disapprove of inorganic growth, M&A in particular. I'm having a bit of difficulty in reconciling these two points of views. Can you shed some light? Thanks. Happy holidays, Brajish. Happy holidays! Right back at you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Let's let's define organic or inorganic growth um, for a second. So, organic growth is when a company is able to grow just based on the assets it possesses. You know, it it has a business, an ongoing business, and it's doing well enough where it grows each year. When you have to go out and buy growth through an acquisition, that's where it gets dicey because most acquisitions, I think it's fair to say, destroy value, don't add value. So, when it came to Disney, I think on whole we thought this was a great idea. But, you know, he does have a point because Disney was struggling there a little bit, right? So, they bought their way out of it to a certain extent by getting in certain great assets like the sports and other content. So, I think the question is fair. And we have to keep an eye on, on this particular deal to make sure it adds value, doesn't destroy, which, on whole, I believe it will. But it certainly is not a gimme, and we do have to watch it. But you've got Pixar, you've got Marvel, and you've got Lucasfilms. So, that turned out OK. Yeah, those are amazing, <laughs> and <laughs> for sure, for sure OK. Um, but as we say, um, when when folks are when businesses are struggling and they try to buy their way out of that struggle, very often, more so than not, it's a mistake. Destroys value for shareholders, and you need the right CEO in there, the right capital allocator to make those tough decisions. I think Iger is probably that guy, which is one, again one of the reasons why I think it, it, that we like this deal. But keep an eye because it was—it's an expensive deal, a lot of money changing hands, a lot of moving parts. Integration is key to success when it comes to an acquisition of this size. And and as 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 the the email says, trying to buy growth 
can can be fraught with with trouble. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you hit the nail on the head there. And when you look at Disney's growth rates here over the last five years annualized, uh, the top line revenue number grew at about five and a half percent annually here over the last five years. Not terribly impressive, right? But they were able to really bring a lot of that down to the bottom line. Earnings growth was close to thirteen percent annualized. Uh, so for me, uh, yeah, I think you mentioned Pixar and Marvel, Lucasfilms. Part of it is looking at the track record, right? And and we have the the benefit of hindsight looking at Bob Iger's track record and saying yes, there are risks that come with consolidation and acquisition, uh, but. We also know that he's done a pretty good job with it thus far, right? He's got three really good examples that he can shine a light on and say, "Look, we made this work." Uh, so we've got to at least give him the benefit of the doubt there. And it's also not a company that solely grows via M and A, right? I mean, I'll use another example of a business that to date has done really well, and I, and I think it's because uh, the gentleman behind it has has been very good at the M and A uh, that this business is, is participated in is Middleby, right? I mean, Middleby is then the the commercial oven business, which it's not the biggest market opportunity in the world, right? So Salim Basul, I think, recognized that part of the the avenue really for growth for them was going to be making a lot of little acquisitions of, of regional distributors and, and uh, bringing them into their family, so to speak. And as as it stands, he's done a tremendous job. Uh, but that's a business where I think looking forward, you have to start being a little bit concerned in that maybe have they done about all they can really do? I don't know. But but more acquisitions, I mean, the numbers are going to work against you at some point. So it's something to keep in mind for sure. Yeah, and I'll just add that it, when when looking at this, is it a good deal or a bad deal, a good decision or not? It's it's why was the acquisition done? Um, are you in a, a fragmented industry where it makes sense to consolidate some of that and, and bring things in house as they did at Middleby, let's say with the acquisition of Viking, um, for example? Or is a company struggling and kind of try to acquire their way out of the problem by co- completely pivoting in a different direction? Something that really a new business or something they don't have competence in and they're just trying to throw money at a problem, that's where it gets a little more dicey. They have a very good record of, of figuring out new ways to monetize intellectual property. Property, I mean, just for just crazy stretches of time, right? So, I mean, I think we all at least expect them to keep on doing this kind of thing with with a lot of the Fox properties that they bring in. And if they don't, well, then shame on them because that's really the expectation from the deal in the first place. Well, we will keep an eye on it, guys. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Thank Mac. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fooler. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow. Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. Hitch up your reindeer. Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Fill every stocking you find The kids are gonna love you so uh, Leave a toy for Johnny Leave a doll for Mary Leave something pretty for Johnny And don't Forget about Gary, Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. Tell him James Brown sent you, go straight to the ghetto. 
You know that I know what you will see Cause that was once me Hit it, hit it You see mothers and soul brothers Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto Santa Claus, oh Lord, goes straight to the ghetto Fill every stocking you find The kids are gonna love you so Fill every stocking you find You know that they need you so I'm begging you Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto If anyone wanna know Tell them Hank Ballard told me so Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Never thought I'd realize I'd be singing a song With water in my eyes Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Don't leave nothing for me I've had my chance, you see Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus, a soul brother needs so Santa Claus. <laughs>